0: Well, for the final hour of the show today, we're going to be looking at the issue of teenage pregnancies, which is something we've been grappling with on an ongoing basis. Um, The biggest difficulty being the fact that the problem is increasing. So the numbers uh, of, of young people who are falling pregnant is on the increase year on year and There are a number of societal factors that are leading to this situation. So today we thought we need to have a conversation that looks at what are the solutions to the issue of teenage pregnancy. Before I introduce our guests, I want to play this um, particular clip. And it's the voices of of young people um, that are speaking about what led to their own pregnancies.
1: I fell pregnant at the age of 16 whilst I was still at grade 10 due to friends and peer pressure. I gave most of my time to friends. I wanted to satisfy them until I started dating somebody who's older than me. When I found out that I was pregnant, I tried to terminate it. I didn't want my parents to know that I was pregnant. For young ladies teenage girls, For young ladies or teenage girls, I advise them to stay away from boys and stop having unprotected sex.
2: When I fell pregnant, this was due to a lot of freedom because I lost my mom. I had no one who can talk to me and guide me and all all the stuff. Okay, I met the guy, we did the things and it was not that easy. I came across a lot of things. Because the baby did run away at the pregnancy stage. And then, when I got the baby, I nearly killed myself. I nearly committed suicide. When I had to go to the clinic for checkups, I had no money, I had to walk. Some kilometers, few kilometers alone, I had no support, I had no one. It was not that easy. Sometimes I would cry. They must stop having sexual activities that lead to, to teenage pregnancies because boys can leave you and sometimes you will have to drop out at school because you will be not having someone who will take care of your child. My
1: mother pushed me to finish schooling, saying she can't let me drop out because I have to take care of my child financially in future. Teen pregnancy affects your family, yourself, as well as your child. I know sleeping with a girl can make you feel like a champion amongst your peers. But I want to advise you and say wait for the right moment when you can do things in your own comfort zone as an adult. Let's stop victimizing young girls because they face a lot of challenges during pregnancy. They get delayed in life because at times they have to drop out of school.
0: All right, so th- so those are just the voices of young women, and you heard the, um, the last young man when it comes to the issue of teenage pregnancy. Nga Murumbezi is a children's rights activist who joins us on the line. Nga, good morning.
2: Good morning Kathy thank you very much for inviting me to this very important conversation
0: Sianda Magayana is a senior officer at the Gender Equality and Anti-Discrimination Office at the University of the Free State Sianda good morning uh, good morning good morning how are you I'm well thank you Ngale let me kick it off with you you know just just listening to the voices of of those young people it's clear that there's a lot about pregnancy itself that many young people are well not aware of, and it's a reality that they have to confront and deal with when they are expecting a child. But the problem that we're facing, of course, is twofold. That we have young people that are being impregnated as a result of of statutory rape, and, and that must be acknowledged and seen as such as the crime that it is, and others, of course, that are experimenting sexually um, at a young age, and and it leads to these unwanted and unplanned pregnancies.
2: Absolutely. So, Cathy, as we start this conversation, I think I'm in a vantage point Having spoken to the issue of teenage pregnancy from a child protection perspective, where you and I have previously had conversations around this issue of the age of pregnancies that are being reported, some being as young as 10, and then also being able to have tackled the issue of teenage pregnancy, particularly within the context of comprehensive sexuality education and realising the public health crisis that it is. But what I really enjoyed about how you opened this conversation is having the young people speak. And I just want to draw us to what Minister Mozecha said in 2021, that the time has come to bury our differences with the religious sector, the traditional leadership, parents, guardians, and all others who opposed the implementation of CSE. And I feel as the girls were speaking plus the young men at the end, this is quite comprehensive in what we are dealing with a young woman was not aware of the consequences. One was within school. She was in grade 10, aged 16. One succumbed to to peer pressure. There's also the issue of the generational gap. There's also the issue of exposure to dangerous practices when trying to abort a pregnancy. There's also the lack of guidance and vulnerability. So it's quite a diverse approach to this thing, but I think every year we are having the same discussion and it's important that you are bringing in the young people to speak on behalf of themselves because it's no longer a high level dialogue. It has to include the end user. Uh,
0: Sianda?
1: Colleagues, from my side, it's it's also a very good thing that we opened our statements with the the, the, the young kids speaking for themselves, because more than anything, we have been having these conversations in silos in our very institutions, whether it's a school, institutions of higher learning, basic education, the medical sector, and all the other institutions that are involved. But we hardly ever conversations with the people that are experiencing this dilemma of teenage pregnancy. And it's important that we understand how complex this matter is, not just for the young kids, but also for the parents and all the other stakeholders that are involved. Because more than anything, it requires... um, a concerted effort from all the stakeholders that are involved and it's important that in these conversations that we're having we don't gender them because most of most of these conversations we have been having have been focused on young mothers however we don't know the voices of young fathers what leads uh, them to having unprotected sex at such a very young age and also the experiences of such young girls we have to leave school, and at the same time, we don't have boys that are leaving school. It's such an important conversation that we need to have as these different stakeholders because this is a communal effort that we need to have when it comes to this teenage pregnancy crisis. So I love the fact that we opened with such statements that are just a prophecy of the crisis that we are facing. It's very complex. However, it's very possible to have this conversation, but it needs to start at the grassroots level where the persons that are experiencing this at the very first hand, being mothers and fathers who are teenagers, are part of this conversation.
0: Sure, and thank you for that. Um, Nga, the, the, the one thing that is prevalent in, in conversations, especially with young people, on the issue of teenage pregnancies, is peer pressure. What is it about peer pressure that we're just not understanding, I think, holistically, as, as, a society, that p- prevents us from from helping young people navigate through that space um, mm-hmm. clearly and confidently enough to to stick by their decisions, um, even if it is the decision to say, "Well, I'm actually going to delay um, my, my 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 sexual encounters until a later stage in life."
2: Mental health issues. Um... I feel they're rampant amongst teenagers and reflecting also on just experiences of contributing factors to mental health. It's quite easy for us to say, well, I can capacitate my child to be confident, but when they get to school, there's also the integration within that community when they are amongst their peers there's the need inherently as a human being to belong to a certain group and I find that when we're speaking to young people the one thing that is quote unquote declared as cool is sexual activity you also see just on the consumption of social media content there's a lot of sex being sold and that goes against what we campaign for with the implementation of CSE in that it's propels that sexual debut as much as children may be at home given the foundation that you stand confidently in who you are you understand what sex is should you be having sex you go about it a b and c away there's a lot of mental pressure to belong there's a lot of sex that children are being exposed to externally but also there's no conversation happening so sianda was speaking about the silos that happen amongst us as stakeholders but there's also a barrier in communication between parents and their children. It's how do you speak about sex to your child? I think a lot of us were socialized to think of sex as something that is taboo, not only as something that is a a biological progression. So when children start to think about sex, they start to feel a certain way, they start to hear these conversations. There's no open line of communication with parents or with a caregiver to say that this is what you are feeling. This is a natural process. And a lot of peer pressure comes from victimizing the person who is feeling otherwise about having a sexual encounter. So there's not a lot of encouragement from the peers to say, okay, You don't want to have sex. Let's have this conversation. Why? And then you speak about, okay, I want to be able to progress with my school. I want to have sex in a healthy way. It's always in a way that you are the uncle kid. So the kids themselves are victimizing each other into having sex, but also they don't understand the long-term psychological and physical consequences. So I would say the first step at that community grassroots level that Sianda was speaking about is to start having the dialogue around sex and confidently staying abstinent or practicing safe sex within the home as the primary socializing element for children.
0: Sianda, why is this topic of sex such a hot potato for parents? Um, And parents seem to to struggle a lot um, just when it comes to how to have the conversation, what to say. Um, and, and, and sometimes are actually choosing to, to, to turn a blind eye. Um, last year, I remember speaking to a number of, 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 of young mothers, teenage mothers, and all of them said to me that the issue of sex was not something that they discussed openly in the home. And if they did bring the subject up, you know, they were often discouraged from, from
1: talking about it okay thank you kathy for that question uh when it comes to parents uh it's such a it's such a complex matter but very easy but i believe from my side in that our our society or other communities are still very conservative and uh, very conservative when it comes to perceptions around sex sex and sexual health so our parents will always say that for example if you ask your mother why did you never have a conversation with me about sex they will say, my mother never had a conversation with me, and their mother never had a conversation with them because we still have a large community of parents, especially in the black community, that believe that once you have a conversation around sex with your children, you are encouraging them to have sex, which is quite the contrary, because at the end of the day, we need to have this conversation because you need to to to, to give the children the tools to understand the positive things around having sex, whether at an early age or at a later stage, and even the negatives. So like we have been saying again, there's no communication that is happening in our homes around sex, because we still perceive it as something that is very taboo, and also something that is very shameful. And even with these conversations, if we are to have these conversations, I feel for me that they are very gendered. Because, for example, we still have cultural norms and traditional beliefs that a woman should remain pure until she gets married. However, for young men, that is not the message that is being pushed. Young men are allowed to explore themselves, explore their sexuality at a very young age. This is the education that a number of them are getting, that young men, explore as much as you can. However, for young women, the problem when it comes to that communication is that how do you communicate to your young child to a, ch- a girl? that they should explore their sexuality because they might get pregnant, while at the same time we are not realizing that when we have that conversation, you need to also give them the tools uh, to say, this is how you have safe sex, if you ever decide to start having sex, because a number of times, they don't have the conversation with you that they started having sex, you mostly see it when they do get pregnant. So in our, commun- in our families, we are still very conservative when it comes to issues of sex, sexuality and gender, We don't want to have those conversations because no one had those conversations with us ourselves. So we don't have the skills and the knowledge on how to start those conversations. And a number of times you realize that our families are also very religious. And in a number of religious entities, there is discouragement of premarital sex. So you can't, as a Christian person, have the conversation with your child about sex because it will seem like you're encouraging them. So it's quite a complex matter, but I believe that it's in the conservatism that we have around sex and sex education.
0: Yeah, you know, I I always think about this this idea of South Africans being conservative because when you look at our popular culture, um, there's nothing that's conservative about it. You know, you look Mm at um, our choice of music, our dance moves, what we consider... Um, you know to be a good time. It doesn't speak to conservatism. So how do we bridge the two? Nga? Because there is a lot that we are that, that we promote, I think through this, this, this popular culture. And then at the same time, um, don't want to confront the ecosystem that that creates, including for young people, in 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 encouraging or being seen to be encouraging certain behaviors
2: i th- i think that's quite um, a diverse um a diverse way to think about it in that popular culture is playing one role culture culture is playing another role religion is playing another role and i love what sianda said and she's alluding to something that i was thinking that Perhaps the thing around sex is it's never spoken about. And the way to maybe go about discussing how to integrate it into our everyday conversation and demystify it is there's always speaking about sex with a consequence, and it's always a negative consequence. Don't have sex, you will get pregnant. Don't have sex because of disease transmission. Don't have sex because you will be labeled promiscuous. And it's that negative association with it that we've almost criminalized sex amongst children. But for us to be able to integrate it back in, firstly, we have to take the ownership. I know a lot of conversations have been going on about the implementation and integration of sex education within schools. But as my colleague has already alluded to, there's a pushback on that because us as parents hear that as you want to teach my child how to have sex, so you're encouraging my child. And yet research shows that exposure to sexuality education delays that sexual debut, it equips our children. Um, So it's understanding where we are, putting that plug to say that we are blocking the conversation. The one way I would encourage is have discussions like this with parents, because as parents, we then go to the religious communities or we bring back the teachings from the religious communities. We bring back the teachings from the relig- from the traditional communities. You know, we associate virginity with purity and, um, in terms of our traditional marriages for example there is a higher value placed upon that if we take away that sort of that sort of um amplifying of purity that amplifying of virginity and diverting away from natural sexual practices for young people we can integrate them into the conversations because right now as we stand If a child comes to you and they tell you you're having sex, they're having sex, they're 15, they're 16, some are as young as 13, there is no equipment, there is no knowledge, there is no response that us as parents are given to be able to respond and say, okay, this is how you do it. Firstly, your first instinct for a 13-year-old is "Is somebody raping my child. Then you find out the boy is 15. Then you're now blaming the parent of the boy. But this is where that ungendered conversation needs to come in. We need to speak to girls as much as we speak to young men. These girls are not having sex by themselves. And these young men sometimes are being pressured because the young girls are also overly sexualized. So I think Mm. firstly, let's get down to Demystifying within the home front, having sex as a conversation, as a natural biological process, and then taking away these other influences that prevent us as parents from speaking.
0: Thank you so much for that. I'm going to have to pause you there. It's time for the latest news headlines. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. There.
1: Kathimo Sasana on SAFM.
0: We continue the conversation on The Talking Point. We're looking at um, some of the societal issues that really uh, contribute to the teenage pregnancies and the high rate of teenage pregnancies in the country. Nga Murumbezi is a child a children's rights activist. Sianda Magaya is a senior officer at the Gender Equality and Anti-Discrimination Office at the University of the Free State and Ntabi Singh Ramutwala is a counselling psychologist. Ntabi Singh, let me bring you in here. Alright, so we don't have Ntabi Singh on the line. That's fine. Apologies for that. Uh, Nga, perhaps let me come back to you. One of the points that I thought you were which was really important, is the over-sexualization of, of young girls. And it's something that as a society, I don't think we've been paying enough attention to. And it's really about the, the messages that we send about women, about young girls, and, and mm-hmm. how they can be perceived in, in society, uh, which is also contributing to the problem.
2: Mm-hmm absolutely and i think outside of just the messages we're sending out kathy there's research to show that even young girls they're physically developing quicker than in past years so we're finding young girls who are looking as though they're physically uh, mature it's the breasts it's the hips it's the bums it's probably the onset of a menstrual cycle and they look like they're ready for sex physiologically. Mentally, they are not. And these are, these girls are expected to act in a certain way sexually especially because the body starts to look curvaceous it starts to look quote unquote sexy and i'm not associating that with children but in general that's the conversation and we forget that these are still babies these are still young girls these are still small children and we are pushing a lot of that that is not the same for young men young men are not being sexualized in popular culture they are not dressing in provocative ways they are not dressing in a way that shows off their own physiological maturity so we're finding young girls identifying with women on social media because the body looks the same and yet this woman is 25 30 40 plus the body looks the same and yet they emulate the behavior and I think it's it's very important as parents that we don't outsource the responsibility to monitor what our children are doing on social media. The internet is being used as a tool to contribute to that over-sexualization. Like I said initially, there's sex everywhere. There's sex when you're looking on TV, there's sex on billboards selling tools, and you wonder why we are associating the female body with everything else. So for young people, the responsibility remains that regardless of how your child looks. You know, I'm reminded of the book by Dr. Mpume Zenda where my mom, my body is changing. That is such an important conversation. As parents, we are also so busy and we're so out there that we're not even speaking to our children about the changes in the body. There comes somebody who tells you, okay, your body is beautiful. They touch, it feels good and children are falling prey, not only to old men, but also to older boys, even boys of their same age. Because again, that sex is available to everyone. Girl don't know how not to respond to the sexual advances. They don't know how to negotiate um, safer sex practices. They don't know how to negotiate for abstinence. And yet all of the sex is happening around them and they're not equipped. So we have to be mindful of hypersexualization as a natural process of the physiological development, but also being mindful from that child perspe- child protection perspective, that hypersexualization can also be linked to early exposure to sexual activity, which can be linked to sexual abuse. So you have to be very careful of that conversation where you're looking at where is the hypersexuality coming from? Is it peers, is it content consumption, or has something really happened to this child? So we can't negate having conversations with children regardless of the fact that they may not have the language to talk about the sexual activity they can express what has been happening
0: sure you know there's so much there's so much to this conversation and 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 as you're speaking i think it's really about unpacking each of 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 these layers and giving Mm -hmm. each of them i think the requisite attention in order to truly um, deal w- with 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 the issue at hand, uh, Sianda. Th- this i th- this messaging around um uh, uh, uh sex is also such a big one, and and I, I like how Nga has put it that sometimes, because we always speak about sex in negative terms, then when young people experiment, and it doesn't necessarily feel as bad as it was supposed to, or as bad as they were told it's supposed to, that also then um, presents something that they have to try and navigate through too.
1: Mm, now, most definitely, kids. I, I love what my colleague uh, has spoken about. She has spoken a mouthful about the over-sexualization of kids. But also when we're having the conversation around sex, it's also important to to highlight the positives around it, because when we're speaking about teenage sexuality or the development of one's sexuality we have we are looking at many different aspects aspects of desire aspects of exploration and self discovery and all those things are natural and we should not shy away from having those conversation and, conversations and being honest about those positive things that are happening in the body because the minute we we shame and we 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 say all those negative things around sex Kids go and explore because they want to see for themselves what this negative thing is. And a number of times, you know, when we're growing up, even for myself, parents would say, once you get your first period, they will say to you, you now stop playing with boys. Because when you play with boys, you get babies. And you go out there, you go and play, you don't come back with a baby. So even the language that we use, we need to have some language justice to it to say the language that we use should also be one that is very positive. Because once you say to me, once you uh, play with boys, you are going to get a baby. I'll go play with a boy and I don't get a baby. I'll go back again. But we now need to be honest in the conversations that we have to say, when you have sex, this is what happens and this is what happens. If, that, if this doesn't happen, then it's fine. But there is a big possibility for that. We need to have conversations about safe ways of having sex with our children, which is a, po- a positive perception around sex. How do I have safe sex? because they will have sex. So now have the conversation of, you have these desires as a a young adult, you're exploring and discovering certain things about yourself, but here are the right and safe ways to go about it. So, and more than anything, when we are having these conversations about sex, I love emphasizing the fact that they need to stop uh, being gendered because a number of times we're encouraging to boys but very discouraging to young girls. And at the end of the day, it doesn't help if you encourage a young boy to have sex because I love what my colleague has said before to, to say. Who are these boys going to have sex with? They are going to have sex with girls, and maybe in a number of cases, in some cases, boys have sex with other boys. But in cases where they have sex with other girls, that is the, the, the result if you don't have positive conversations about the, the consequences of sex being teenage pregnancy. So more than anything, we also need to encourage a comprehensive and inclusive sex education in our discussions, which is a very positive uh, perspective uh, creating uh, very uh, positive views around the idea of sex. All right. Um, We're getting to the
0: end of this conversation. Um, Nga, let's talk about the issue of information that's readily available. And, you know, that's also part of what is happening on young people's phones, um, on, Mm -hmm. on social media. Again, it's another space that you know, many parents don't really venture into. They just know that they they lay down the rules and tell their children, you know, I do not want to find one, two, three on your phone, but Mm -hmm. um, that's about as far as they're willing to go with it.
2: Well, Kathy, I remember when I was a teenager and I was told, I do not want to find one, two, three on your phone. And what? If you were to look at my phone, you would find one, two, three. And it's just natural as you develop, as you ascertain an identity. I would encourage that we steer the conversation very deliberately. I said it before, very deliberately, curate, point out speak to our children about the safe sex practices. Sianda mentioned something that we were always told that once you have your period, if you play with boys, you will get pregnant, you'll bring back a baby. And when you don't bring back a baby, well, you realize that the logic I've been told doesn't work. It's automatic in here to say, okay, I had sex, I didn't bring a baby. Therefore, there must be something that's not connecting there. But it's also to emphasize that maybe you didn't fall pregnant because of correct condom use or because of a contraceptive. So we've already negated part of the knowledge skill set we should be equipping our children with, which is the sexual apparatus that can prevent teenage pregnancy, the sexual apparatus that can prevent disease transmission amongst children. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation as different stakeholders. You belonging to the media. We've got um Sianda belonging to the policymakers and decision making bodies, and I represent representing the civil society organizations. And it's where we find our intersection to say, how do we share the information? We're speaking about teenage pregnancy. We've had this whole conversation for almost an hour and we didn't mention prevention methods. So it becomes our responsibility to say the information we are pushing on social media, there's sex being sold. What are we pushing to counter that? Yes, we have accepted that children will continue to have sex, but we can also use that same social media to say, when X pops up and you know it's somebody gyrating, it's a sexy body, it's advert promoting some kind of sexual activity, Next will come up, or next to it will be condom usage and contraceptives so that they are equipped, they begin to realize that, oh, okay, I can use this. It doesn't necessarily have to end in a negative consequence. Because that negative language that we use means that when children fall victim, they don't have the knowledge body to come and speak and say, Okay, well, this bad thing has happened to me because already we've criminalized everything. You had sex, you are pregnant, you are it's now trouble. So we need to push that information deliberately from the policy makers decision makers what are we saying within our departments around correct sex for young people because we can't say okay let's just continue to promote abstinence we know that's falling to the wayside how do we promote condom use how do we pro- promote the correct condom use access to condoms what does it mean for menstrual hygiene what does it mean for poverty for example because the blesser blesse syndrome is also feeding into these teenage pregnancies so i feel there's a lot of sex happening around Mm -hmm. um but not enough information so we need to peddle the information to circumvent teenage pregnancy
0: all right let me thank you both for your time this morning. We're completely out of time for this conversation. Sianda Magayana is a senior officer at the Gender Equality and Anti-Discrimination Office at UFS. Thank you so much for your time, Sianda. And Nga Murumbezi is a children's rights activist. That's where I leave it with the show for today. Up next.